The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Haggai. We're still in chapter 1. Uh, If you're not sure where Haggai is, you can find Matthew. Go back about 10 pages in most Bibles. Uh, If you skip past Malachi and Zechariah, you'll be there, okay? If you don't have a Bible uh, here tonight, we have them at the Connection Kiosk. We like to give those away for free, so please let us know. We'd like to give you a Bible. Uh, If you don't have something in your hands right now where you can follow along as we study God's Word, we will have the verses on the screens for you, okay? Uh, Just quickly catch us all up, make sure we're all on the same page. Haggai prophesied around 520 BC. That was when roughly 50,000 Hebrews had returned from Babylon after being conquered by the Babylonians and then forcibly removed from their land in what is commonly referred to as the exile. Last week, we read God's rebuke of these returned exiles. And what was he upset about? Well, they had begun to rebuild the temple, but they had only got as far as putting the foundation before they got discouraged and they ended up quitting. They had what they thought were practical and in some cases even spiritual sounding excuses of why, Uh, primary one being it's not the right time to build the temple. But God had a very serious but also kind of sarcastic response. He said to them, so it's time for you to live in your nice paneled houses while my house lies desolate. That was God's rebuke to them. God went on to tell the people through the prophet Haggai that they were laboring in vain, like someone working to earn wages just to put it in a bag with holes. God was not blessing the work of their hands because their priorities were out of order. And he goes on to call them to consider their ways, to stop making excuses, and to start making the worship of God and the work of God the center of their lives once more. And so this week, as we continue on, we're going to read just a few verses, but in those few verses, we're going to see the people's response to God rebuking them and God's response to their response. So let's get in it. We're going to dig uh, together and see what the Lord has for us. We're going to read verses, or chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, okay? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Praise God for his word. Amen. So starting back in verse 12, what we see here is the people's response to Haggai's prophecy. And so what do we see that they did? Well, they responded humbly and they responded quickly. Oftentimes in the past, in Israel's past, Uh, that was not the response. There were actually many prophets that came before the exile ever happened saying, hey, if you guys don't knock it off, you're going to end up messed up by other countries. God's going to send judgment. He's going to do something to get your attention because he's not going to let you keep running headlong towards destruction. He loves you too much for that. They didn't listen. They didn't respond. Uh, 
And, and what this shows us, the fact that God's people now hearing the word of Haggai, I think it's roughly 23 days between the time Haggai prophesies and they're back building the temple, okay? And so you might think, oh, well, that's three weeks. But if you understand what the building process would have looked like, the, the spool up to kind of get it going, going up in the mountains to get the timber, bring it back down. Uh, basically, what that means is right now, as soon as they heard that this was what God thought and what God desired, they hopped to it and humbly, quickly responded. And I think part of what this shows us is that the loving discipline of our perfect father, it's not futile, it's fruitful. It wakes mankind from the stupor of sinful and selfish pursuits so that we, with clarity once more, we can see the path of obedience that leads to freedom and joy in God. You see, these people had been through an exile. The, the folks before may have just thought that these were empty, hollow threats, or maybe these prophets didn't know what they were talking about. But these exiles understood. When God said, hey, I'm getting to the point where I'm about to do something to get your attention, <laughs> they understand we better heed that. We better humbly, and what is the language here that it uses? It says they showed reverence for the Lord. That is the right response. Uh, the principle of, of God's loving discipline being effective and being good for us, Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 through 11, it really lays that out, that principle in helpful detail. I'm going to read that to you. It says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Amen. I have often said that God is not going to punish you for your sin, that he punished Jesus for our sin. And this is true at the level of salvation and justification. God is not going to abandon us if we've been made his son or daughter by grace through faith in Jesus. But what that doesn't mean is that he won't allow difficulty in our life or remove his blessing from our efforts if we are chasing selfish passions or living with disordered priorities. I think we see that clearly. Even if it was too much to draw the inference of what happened in Haggai's day and bring that forward, even if you were someone that would say, well, well, because of Jesus, I don't know if that's true. Well, I, what I just read you was from the book of Hebrews. You know where that's at? That's in the New Testament. God is still disciplining children that he loves because he loves them. He will get in your way if you're running headlong towards destruction, and he will slow you down. And sometimes what that's going to feel like to you 
is like suffering or pain. Sometimes you're going to perceive that as, man, this is a real bummer. But what it is, is the love of a good father, slowing you down, putting obstacles in your way so that you don't create further destruction for yourself. I'm thankful God's like that. Anybody else in here thankful for that? I know I need that sometimes. Is there anybody else in here that knows they may need that at some point? Or you know somebody else that might have needed that. Maybe that's you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, we're in Haggai now. Don't provoke me tonight. You know what will happen. We're, we're OT tonight, man. All right. Uh, the, the, the principle that I'm talking about, I, I've seen this in things as simple as like working on plumbing. I don't know if everybody here knows this, but right now, as it stands, uh, I believe God's called me to pastor Love City Church, but also to work in maintenance and construction, and so I'm bivocational. I believe that's on purpose, and that's God's will for this season. I'm thankful and content and happy about it. So what that means is several days a week, I end up fixing broken things, and oftentimes that's plumbing, because uh, I've done a lot of it, and I'm, I'm halfway decent at it. So uh, I, there has been many situations, many times. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to fool with plumbing. Some of you probably got on YouTube, watched a video, and said, oh, I can do that. But then you may have encountered... <laughs> a situation or two where the fitting just doesn't go on like it should. You strip some threads or there'll be a situation where I'll do something the way I've done it a hundred times before and, and this time it leaks. And I, I, I just know there's, I, I, can, I can think of certain instances where I've been in a situation where I was just relying on my own strength or relying on past experience, not walking in the spirit, getting frustrated. You know, a lot of times it's when I'm cramped up under a sink or something. I look like a contortionist you know, not really built to be up underneath there, but I crammed myself in there so I can fix the thing, and I'm already just feeling the heat of that, and, and the, my blood's starting to boil. There's been many times where, I, you know, you're mad, and so you just, like, push harder. Okay, so I'm just going to crank it again. Now it won't leak. Turn the water on there, and it's hitting me in the face, and I have to stop, take a breath, pray, and ask Jesus to help me with that plumbing. I've joked with guys that are working with me before. I said, you, you all have heard Jesus is a carpenter, man. He's a plumber, too. Because he'll get in here and he'll help me with this. And he does. And there's a, I'm just telling you there's a difference in going at it, relying on God's help and his spirit and his, his anointing. And I'm talking about basic everyday things. And there's been times where I try to do it in my own strength, get real frustrated and think I'm just going to manhandle it or exert more effort towards it. And, that's gonna, and normally I end up breaking it and then have to go back to the store, get another part, and feel salty and get humbled all the way on the drive. Because now I'm late for dinner. Okay. Now Natalie's not happy when I get home. Right. So the whole thing went kaput. Right? If I could have just been humble and trusted the Lord in the beginning, it would have went better. I don't know if that plumbing analogy helps you. I know most of you probably ain't doing plumbing a whole lot, but you're probably doing something in your life where you're tempted to get in your own strength to try to do it by your own power or just forget that God's promised to help you and end up in a situation where uh, you don't have his blessing on what you're doing. It's just me? Or some of you have experienced that before? Oh, okay, good. All right. I didn't make it clear that I was looking for you to acknowledge that. Okay, that's my fault. And here's what I'm saying. Let me be clear. I don't necessarily believe that, that God made the plumbing job harder for me in those instances to try to teach me a lesson, but, but I do believe this. I will be more effective at whatever I put my hand to in this life if I'm walking by faith and in the power of the Spirit. I do believe that, no matter what it is, whether that's plumbing, pastoring, loving my family, whatever it is. I need to know, I need to be humble enough to acknowledge in every situation I need God's help. Because I'm just... A, I'm just a broken vessel, man, with clay feet. If not for God, I'm shot. Amen. Now, if you remember from last week, God had withheld rain, uh, so the crops weren't growing. He, he had opposed these people before Haggai ever prophesied. 
Uh, but they had missed the message. They didn't get it. And so Haggai had to come along and kind of spell it out for them. And, and I honestly think that out of compassion for people, um, it's possible that I've been too quick in the past to assure them that their struggle was not the result of God's discipline. Sometimes, I, as a shepherd, seeing people in pain, I, you know, they're confused, trying to figure out what's going on. I, th- I think there's been times in the past where maybe I was too quick to say, well, well I'm sure this isn't the result of sin on your part, or you disobeying the Lord in this, or whatever it is. Um, and, and I need to be more careful about that. We all need to be more careful about that, because the scriptures are clear. God is a good father, and he will get in our way, because he loves us. The reality is sometimes difficulty in life is a result of our broken world. Bad, jacked-up stuff happens just because this world is cursed, and it's not like it's supposed to be. Jesus is going to fix that eventually, hallelujah. But in the meantime, we got to exist where we are and walk this thing out by faith. Sometimes difficulty is the result of a broken world. Sometimes it's the forces of darkness against us, and we need to overcome them by faith and with God's help. Sometimes that's the source of our trouble. But many times, we also need to know that God shields us from difficulties and attacks that we never knew were coming. I don't know how many times you've thanked God for protecting you from things you didn't even know he protected you from, but that's happening all the time. Amen. But also, sometimes, he will allow us to experience struggle in order to shake us and show us that we're being foolish. And if we were wise, we would welcome that. If we were wise, we would pray for that. If we understood really who we are and who God is, how wise he is, and sometimes how foolish we are, we would daily say, God, if I am traversing off onto some path that's going to lead to pain for me, if I'm traversing off onto some path that is going to take me out of the place of being effective for your kingdom, for the furthering of your glory into the ends of the earth, then God, stop me. I don't want to spend time meandering in the wilderness, wasting the time that you've given me, wasting the gifts and talents that you've given me, and wasting this beautiful opportunity you've given me to share your gospel with the world. I don't want to waste that time. So Lord, be quick when you discipline me. Don't give me time to wander in my foolishness. Those would be wise prayers. I hope they're prayers that we're praying. A good question for us today is this. Do we have our ears and eyes open that we may see what the Holy Spirit is telling us and what he's showing us? Are we welcoming that instruction? Are we welcoming the leading of God's Spirit? You see, the opposite of our tendency to just put our head down and push through life in our own strength. Let me just stop and be clear about what I'm saying. Do any of you know about yourself that you have a tendency to, instead of maybe heeding a warning from the Lord, or when you come up to some opposition thinking, okay, well, maybe I should stop and assess and ask God to show me by the power of his spirit whether or not I'm feeling this opposition because I'm headed in the wrong direction. Have any of you, instead of doing that, which is the right move, Just put your head down and push harder and see if we can make it through. Has anybody else ever done that before? I have both my hands in the air because I've done that a lot of times. Okay? But praise God for his mercy, right? Praise God for his long-suffering patience with us. Hallelujah for that. What we need to do is be constantly asking Jesus to lead us, but then also humbly follow him. Uh, (laughs) After last week's gathering... I was really, really blessed, and I want to share with you guys why that's the case. Uh, you know, on average, when, when people come up to me after a sermon and they tell me that they enjoyed it or it was good, or they just express gratitude for God's word, of course I'm grateful for that, thankful. But 
Uh, if you've ever done that, then you know that I'm, I'm, I'm quick to deflect the glory to Jesus because, you know, I, I really believe I'm a tool in his hands, right? Like, if, if somebody fixes something on your car, you don't go and grab the socket wrench that they use and say, thank you so much, socket wrench, for fixing my car, right? You thank the person that held the socket wrench that knew how to use it and fix the car, right? Amen. Um, but last week, uh, one of the sisters here, they came up to me and, and they thanked me for the word, but they, she, she also said this. Uh, she said that she was going to drop all of her very reasonable excuses that she had, and she was going to join the group that's going to Mexico this fall to build a classroom for the refuge orphanage that we're going to go down and bless. And um, that, sincerely, I rejoiced all week over that response because that tells me it was actually a good sermon because I think oftentimes what we think a good sermon is is something that maybe uh, elicits emotional response, gets us to nod our heads. Some of you might even say an amen if I you know, pull it out of you hard enough. Uh, sometimes those are the things we use to gauge, or, or we were intellectually stimulated, but friends, here is the bottom line. When it comes to the preaching of God's word, we, we, it's good when it leads to change. It's good when it leads somebody to do something about it, right? Uh, if we leave here every week just into having intellectually ascended to the principles that were brought forth, whoopity-doo, right? Like that, we're not doing anything. We Honestly, we, we probably heap judgment upon ourselves when we do that because we're knowing more and doing less half the time, and that's just silly. So, uh, and, and this example I'm giving you of, of the effect that had on that sister, that's an example of why we gather each week, why we do this, why we worship God and we come to hear his word preached. Because coming together like this, you know, whatever you had to fight through to get here today, I know every single one of you, you know, there was something you had to overcome to make the choice to come and gather with God's people today. I know that. But when we do that, what we're doing in, in one sense is we're humbly acknowledging that our hearts are bent towards foolish distraction and that each of us needs to be consistently reminded of what is most important and why. That's part of what we're doing when we come and gather here. When you make the choice to come here instead of all the other things you could have done, in one way what you're doing is humbly acknowledging, I need God's word preached to me. I need to stand amongst God's people and declare his glorious excellencies as we sing. I need to be reminded of what should be first above all else. And friend, if you're not convinced that you do need that, you're wrong. Because we all do. Because all of our hearts are bent towards distractions and foolishness and futility. It's something we all battle. James was aware of this. Uh, that's why he laid out in James chapter 1 these words. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Did you know you can delude yourself? Are you aware of that? We're, we're actually pretty good at that, deluding ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Hallelujah. But friends, can we be honest? I want to be honest with you about the real-life difficulty of putting God over everything in our daily lives. That's, it really is not easy. The struggle is real. The distractions are constant. 
And we are assaulted with various temptations to give our attention and our affection to created things instead of the creator at what seems like every turn. That's the reality. And so with that being true, with us being honest about how hard this really is, how then do we have any hope of walking this out? How can we give ourselves completely to the glorious work of building the body of Christ, which is the New Testament temple, when it seems that we are besieged constantly by our sinful flesh within and the external forces of darkness trying to stop us? How do we avoid discouragement and temptation towards apathy when it feels like we're faced with so many obstacles? How do we do that? We take heart in the consistent promise of God to be with us. Let me read you verse 13 again. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people. This wasn't just something Haggai thought would be nice to say. This wasn't Haggai just saying something because he wanted to encourage everybody. By the commission of the Lord to the people, he said this, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. And this is not a one-off event here in the time of Haggai the prophet. This is not a message that only these people received from the Almighty. This is the most precious and consistent promise that our God has given us throughout history. Now, I just used an absolute. I said that's the most precious and consistent promise God's given us throughout history. So I hope you didn't just take that at my word. I'm going to prove it to you. In Genesis 15, God said to Abraham, I am a shield to you. Now, in order to be somebody's shield, there's, there's the idea that his, his presence has to be perpetually there. If you're going to shield somebody, if you're going to be their shield, you've got to be with them. To Abraham, he said, I'm a shield to you. In Genesis 26, he tells Isaac very plainly, I will be with you. In Genesis 28, Jacob, who God named Israel later, he says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. In Genesis 48, God comforts Joseph through the words of his father Israel. He says, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses through a burning bush, certainly I will be with you. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Judges 4, the prophetess Deborah declares to Barak right before battle, she says, Arise, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan speaks to David these words, The Lord is with you. 1 Chronicles 28, David speaks this encouragement to his son Solomon. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. Hallelujah. And he just keeps going. Here in Haggai, God calls his people to lay down their own pursuits, to build his temple, because they had forgotten, as we so often do. The very purpose for which they were created was to know God, to be with God, to be loved by God, and to love him in return. And as they turned from their self-focus, showing reverence for the Lord once more, his promise to them here in verse 13 is what? I am with you. But friends, there is a crucial question we need to ask ourselves today. And this question has no rival in its relevance and no comparison in its importance. This question must be truly considered and it must be answered with honesty. And our response will determine the outcome 
of our lives, and it will echo into eternity. Hopefully you're asking what question could be so important. Here's the question. Is he enough? Is he enough? Is the promise of God's faithful presence enough for us to put the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, up to the throat of every idol and every excuse we would ever have and to put them to death? Is the promise of his presence enough? Is it enough for us to cast aside the fears and anxieties that cause us to cower and hide from the call to join him in the great and glorious work of building his kingdom? Is he enough? Is the promise of his presence enough? This is the question we need to ask ourselves because this is the greatest promise. This is the greatest gift we will ever receive from God. It's his presence, it's him. There are many things that come along, but we are oftentimes elated and excited about auxiliary blessings we hope God will bring, more so than the fact that God has given us himself. Praise God that he's made this precious promise to us. May he be enough for us. The truth is our God is a mighty redeemer and rescuer, but he never redeems or rescues without a purpose. Think about it. When he sent Moses to Pharaoh, he sent Moses with this message, let my people go so they may worship me. He wasn't just freeing them for no reason. There was a purpose for those people to be let out of their slavery, was to come and to worship God. But what we see is that very quickly in the wilderness, they became preoccupied with the menu of what God was miraculously feeding them, and they were more concerned with their preferences and their stomachs than worshiping God. God moved upon pagan kings so that these exiles in the time of Haggai could return home and rebuild the temple. And God could be worshipped again in the land he'd given his people. But very quickly, they became preoccupied with building their own houses and chasing their own priorities. All of this merciful and miraculous rescuing that God was doing, it was leading up and it was pointing to the great and the final redemption that came through Jesus. You see, he sent Moses so that the people would be released from Egypt. He worked upon the heart of pagan kings so that the exiles could return home. But that was all just showing us. There's this pattern in Scripture of God's people being held down, but God rescuing. And he was pointing forward. He was showing us what he was going to do in an ultimate sense by bringing Christ. That's why Christ had to come, because every person, every person, because of sin, because of the fact that we are born into this sin nature that makes us imperfect and unable to connect with God the way we were created to, every single one of us, we are underneath this taskmaster, this Pharaoh called sin and death. All of us need liberation. All of us need a way to be set free, but none of us could do that ourselves. We needed a rescuer. We needed a redeemer. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was sent to be born of the Virgin Mary. That's why he lived a perfect life, the life that none of us could have. So then he could step in and he could be the final sacrifice. There would need be no more need for bulls and goats and sheep, the blood of animals to try to atone for a little while. Jesus' final sacrifice was the atonement that all of that was pointing forward to. The final rescue, the ultimate redemption where God's people would be set free for all time if they would trust in the finished work of Christ. That is what all of this was leading up to. That's what this is pointing to. 
And that is our great hope today. That is what the scriptures are about. Our final redemption, our hope now and for eternity is in Christ and it's in Christ alone. He didn't just live a perfect life. He died. He submitted himself, Philippians 2 says, to death, even death on a cross. Let his creation treat him with disdain. He died the death we should have died, but he didn't stay there. Three days later, the Bible says clearly he rose from the grave, showing all of us that he was the one we were waiting for, the triumphant one, the one with the power to put sin and death down forever. Hallelujah. You see, understanding that we are not that unlike the people of Haggai's time. We're in a similar situation because provision has been made for us to join God in building an eternal temple. Provision had been made for them. God had moved upon those pagan kings so that they would be sent home. They were free to worship God. They were free to build the temple, but they didn't. Provision has also been made for us to join God in building an eternal temple by preaching the gospel and leading those who are enslaved by sin to freedom in Christ and teaching them to be faithful disciples who then go and do the same. Guys, we do have real challenges, but we also have pitiful excuses. And we have the same tendency to abandon this great work that our ancestors in the faith also had. But just in case we forgot the precious promise that we see over and over again from Abraham forward, Jesus left us with this right before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, he says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The I am with you's didn't end with Abraham and Moses and, and Deborah to Barak and all the rest. Jesus continued. He picked that message up and he brought it forward and he showed us that this is still the truth. And actually, this is now the, the ultimate truth because in those times, yes, God could dwell with his people in a tabernacle in the wilderness or he could dwell with his people in the promised land in a temple. But what Jesus made possible is for God not just to dwell with us in some physical location, but to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. And now the whole game has changed and our excuses are even more pitiful than our ancestors because we had the living God inside us. Of us. We have the very power of Christ himself, the power that rose him up from the grave at work in us. And there is no excuse for us to abdicate our responsibility to build this great eternal temple that God's invited us to build. And so I say that we do, that we stand, that we throw aside all the foolishness and every encumbrance that would entangle our feet and slow us from this glorious mission. And that we stand up and we do exactly what it is God made us to do and has freed us to do by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so next time you feel yourself tempted to throw up one of those pitiful excuses, or next time you feel tempted to cower because of the anxiety of trying to figure out how you're going to surmount whatever issue or obstacles in your way to be able to participate in what it is, this glorious 
this mission, this merciful invitation that we have to participate in the eternal work of people being set free from darkness, being brought to light, being set free from slavery, made free in Christ. Every single time you're tempted to cower from that because of anxiety, throw some excuse at it because you don't feel like doing it, just remember, Jesus himself said, Lo, I'm with you. And there's no temple that restricts that. There's no tabernacle you got to go to. Right now, friends, right here, tomorrow at work, wherever you are, there's no sacred site you need to go to to commune with your God. He has made you his dwelling place. And you can walk into every situation, every broken home, every family situation that's difficult right now, every work situation that's hard. If you're in school, wherever it is, that gas station you go to where the gas station tenants always mean to you, it doesn't matter where you go. You take with you the very presence of God. And so all of your excuses about not being qualified, being scared, being too busy, whatever it is, what you're effectively and functionally saying is the power of God can't bring anything to this situation. And I don't think you mean to say that. I just think oftentimes we get convinced of alternate truths and we get deceived into thinking in alternate ways from what the scripture has revealed. This is not about you. <laughs> if you haven't figured that, if I do one thing in my life is to convince a handful of people, man, this isn't about you. Woo! Take that home. There's your take-home principle. Put that on the magnet on the fridge. That'll help you, man. This isn't about us. It's about him. It's about the glorious one, the almighty one. The one who sits upon the throne that's above every other throne. The one whom one day we return to. And we will spend eternity with. We will bask in the radiance of his glory forevermore. But until then, friends, we got a job to do. And it's to invite as many people as possible to join us in that beautiful, eternal destiny of being in God's presence forever. Amen. May we never be those who only hear the word of God and delude ourselves. But may we cling to the precious promise of God's presence with us. Casting aside the temptations and excuses that encumber us, and may we join in the great and glorious work of making Christ and his gospel known to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, first of all, we just want to repent before you. Lord, we want to acknowledge that we, like our ancient ancestors in the faith, we are prone to foolishness. We are prone to futile distractions. We are prone to misprioritize our lives, our affections. But God, I thank you that your word tells us that your mercy is new every morning. I thank you, Lord, that you've promised us that you're going to hang in here with us, that you're going to continue what you've begun in us, that you see our frailties, and that doesn't make you cast us away, but it, it makes you draw us close, God. Thank you for that. Thank you that that's your response. Thank you that you are a good and loving father. Thank you that you discipline the children that you love. God, I pray over this church, every person within the sound of my voice, sitting here physically or listens to it later, God, I pray over them, God, that you would deal with them quickly, that you would discipline them quickly, that, God, you would come and you would oppose them when they leave the beautiful path of obedience that leads to joy, that leads to being close to you. God, I ask that you would Cultivate in us a desire above all other desires to obey you, to know you, to walk in the joy and the hope and the peace that comes in doing what it is you've called us to do. 
God, thank you for inviting us to join you in this great and glorious work, the unrivaled work of building your temple, of taking each person that was lost, that was dead in sins, that had no hope aside from you, sharing with them your gospel, seeing them come to life spiritually and be made into a living stone that's now being joined together with others, building up this holy house of God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that your plan all along was not for your presence to be tied to some physical location, but all along you knew what you were doing. All along you've been working this plan of redemption, making it possible for us to be as close to you as we possibly can. God, we oftentimes take that for granted. We oftentimes treat that as if it's not as precious as it really is. But that's just foolishness, we know. And so we ask you, God, to give us eyes to see things for as they really are. Lord, please give us ears to hear and hearts and minds that can discern your leading. Oftentimes, God, our, our, our flailing and our, our distractions, it's, sometimes it's not a choice of forceful or intentional disobedience, but God, sometimes we're just confused. Sometimes we just have dull ears and we don't know how to hear you. So God, please help us. Please teach us how to hear you. Teach us how to read your word and be led by you. Teach us how to pray and hear your voice and obey. God, that's what we want. We want to be a, a faithful people. We want to be a people that honors you not only with our lips, but with our lives. God, we want to be the light that you've called us to be in this world. We thank you, God, for all these things. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that many times your word acts like a hammer and it chisels away from us foolishness and sin and frustrations and anger and distractions. Thank you, God. You're a master potter and we are but clay and we humbly submit to the process of you forming and shaping and making us into what it is you want us to be. You're worthy. You're the king. You get all, all of our allegiance, God. It goes to you and you alone. Please help us walk these things out for the glory of your name. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.